Charity. Uh, I'm so excited to be chatting to you. We, we were discussing before, the last time we sat in this room was when we discussed your, your previous book, Spies of No Country, which is an excellent book for anyone who has not read it. Um, but we're here today to talk about your new book, Who by Fire, about Leonard Cohen, his journey to Israel during the Yom Kippur War. You're a Canadian Jew um, who now lives in Israel. What, what, what's, what's the genesis of this? The genesis of this story. I was born and raised in in Canada in Toronto with Leonard Cohen on the, you know, on the soundtrack. Of course, Leonard Cohen was very large in Canada, um, and particularly for Canadian Jews, being you know the most towering cultural figure we've managed to produce. So when I, it's a small pond, you know, it's not like a very long list, but uh, I just remember Suzanne being on in the background, and you know, Bird on the Wire. And, so long, Marianne. So he's just always around. And, and um, that was when I was a kid. And that was very much the music of my parents. I moved to Israel when I was 17. Um, that was in 1995. And, you know, as a journalist and didn't think much about Leonard Cohen for, for years. But in 2009, he showed up to give a concert in Israel. And, I was there too. Oh, wow. You're so lucky. Israelis remember it as a real moment. Yeah. So he shows up in 2009 and it's this it's this fantastic tour where he's kind of resurrected. He'd been kind of holed up in a Buddhist monastery for many, many years and had discovered that his manager, his former manager, had stolen almost all of his money. So he was forced to kind of go back on the road. And, um, and when he did, he discovered that he'd ascended to the pantheon of you know, pop culture, and he was filling stadiums, and he was an old guy, you know, he was in his 70s, and um, it was just the most incredible last act, maybe, in music history, and that that tour, that that kind of resurrection tour ends in Israel and Tel Aviv, and he he shows up here in, in the fall of 2009, and, and I, I hadn't quite appreciated how important he was for Israelis. Like Leonard Cohen is kind of a god in Israel. People you write about this, you say there's many Jewish... There's Paul Simon, there's others, but Leonard Cohen for Israelis is on a different level. That's right. Dylan, uh, Leonard Cohen really occupies a different level, and I just couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Why were people so um, enamored of, of Leonard Cohen? I mean, the, when, the, when the tickets went on sale in, you know, for that concert in 2009, the phone lines crashed within a few minutes, and 50,000 people came out to see him uh, in a country of, you know, it's very, it's very small so obviously something was going on and I couldn't quite figure it out and uh, I couldn't figure there's some deep connection that was there and um, one explanation popped up in the newspaper before the concert there was some Leonard Cohen coverage and I read in the Israeli Daily Yediot about this really strange concert tour in the Yom Kippur War which is you know one of the darkest moments in the history of Israel um, thousands of soldiers are dead the country is reeling it's you know depressed and think nothing's going according to plan and then out of the smoke of battle in Sinai comes Leonard Cohen on some kind of strange Jewish quest and he plays concerts at the, at the front throughout the war and I said wow that is just a very strange story I didn't know that and uh, I didn't really know I couldn't really explain it like what was he doing here why did he come the the kind of skeleton of the story was there but the meat of the story wasn't in the newspaper article so I remember clipping that article and I cut it out and I just started saving up information about that, and um, that's really where that's really where it started. In retrospect, I can I can say that it's really a, a meeting of my Canadian, you know, self with my Israeli self. It's really a Canadian-Israeli story, and there are very few of those. So that I think was part of what interested me. I mean, I think 
before I read the book, I had thought that, okay, so he goes to Sinai. Sinai's a large place, plays a few concerts. But when you're reading the book, you're like, he's on, he's on the eastern side of the canal. He, he, he's in Africa. Sorry, he's on the western side of the canal. He, he, it, I don't know how many troops ultimately are there, but that, you know, when, when Israel takes the fight into kind of into Africa, Cohen's there as well. He, he's there when soldiers are coming back injured from, he's really in the thick of things. But the other thing that I think is interesting is that you write in this book, he didn't even bring his guitar. He writes, he talks about, and, and you had, you, you got this amazing access to his, is it his diary? It was, yes, a manuscript that he wrote about the experience immediately after returning and the notebooks that he was keeping in Israel as the war right. progressed. So he writes about wanting to stop Egypt's bullet. He comes without a guitar. What do you think his plan was? Leonard Cohen was very cagey in his interviews and in his writing about his own personal motivation. So he never really tells us. We have this absolutely incredible manuscript that he wrote, this really bizarre kind of train of thought manuscript that he wrote immediately upon his return. And parts of it are published in my book for the first time. But he never really comes out and says what he thought he was going to do. Like why it's, there are a few things going on. One is that his personal situation in the fall of 1973 is unhappy. So he's declared that he's retiring. He's kind of given up on music. The news of Leonard Cohen's retirement has been published in the music press. And uh, he's kind of frustrated about his music and he thinks it's not working anymore. Um, he is in a domestic situation in which he's quite unhappy. He's 39 years old and he has a, his first child, Adam Cohen, who's a year old at the time. And he's living with a woman um, with not technically married, but he refers to her as his wife in writing and things aren't going, aren't going very well. And he's in a dark period and Leonard Cohen was kind of, he dealt with depression throughout his life. And um, um, we remember the late version of Leonard Cohen when he was kind of this elderly statesman. But Well, me and you certainly do. As in yes. our, gen our generation remembers, I think you write this, the gentleman with the hat, right, but, but, the, but the Cohen of 73 that, that you write about and that is in the, the manuscripts is not particularly pleasant. That's right. He's, he's angry and he's depressed and um, he's a much less lovable character. He's a more interesting character, might be, <laughs> but, uh, but he's a much less lovable character. And, and part of what is going on is, I think, an attempt to escape his life like he sees the war he sees our crisis as a way out of his own crisis um so that's part of what's going on he comes to israel and it's unclear exactly what he plans to do he tells some of the people who he meets that he wants to volunteer on a kibbutz which is something that people did in the 1967 where western volunteers came to replace the men who'd been called up to the front um and he comes without a guitar which indicates to us that he didn't intend to play and, and he'd already said he was retiring so i don't think he came as leonard cohen the musician uh he came as you know, a guy who's kind of lost. And then he's in a cafe in Tel Aviv um, when he's recognized by some Israeli musicians. And they say, that's Leonard Cohen in the cafe. And another one of them says, no way, there's no way that's Leonard Cohen. And then they walk over and it turns out to be Leonard Cohen. And they're heading off to play for troops, which is what Israeli musicians do in wars. And they manage to rope Leonard Cohen into their um, kind of... Well, you know, to what extent he, he was being roped. Yes, he seemed happy. He seemed to have been happy to be roped, but it doesn't seem to be his. Have, it doesn't seem to have been his intention when he came. But he, uh, they were forming a kind of ragtag uh, uh, band to go to Sinai and play for soldiers, and they say, "Come," and he goes. What do you think his relationship 
is with Israel. I mean, in the book, he talks about Israel as his myth home. Yes. What do you think that means? You know, I'm not sure even he knew what that means, but I think that um, I think many Jews can identify with that idea, even if we don't know quite how <laughs> to explain it. That you know, we have our homes wherever that may be. It might be Toronto. It might be London. It might be you know, uh, New York or wherever. But um, but you know, there's this country out there that is our our real home or our myth home or some kind of other home, and that's not just a modern phenomenon. It's not just you know in the, in the post-1948 world, I think Jews have always felt that. We've always, there's this, there's this place that, we, that we're from, right? We celebrate our holidays based on the agricultural calendar of the land of Israel, even if it's, you know, 12th century Poland, you know, like that. So the idea that there's, we're here, and of course we're from this place, whether it's, you know, Yemen or, uh, or Kiev, but there's this other place that's our real home, and one day we're going back. And I think that that myth home phrase that Colin uses is kind of accessing that I think it's hard to explain exactly what that is, but I think many Jewish people don't really need that to be explained. So I'm wondering what you think about his relationship to the war. He he's in some way he's he's a bit ambivalent because he's he's not supportive of war as a concept, but when he when he comes here, um, there, there's a certain aspect where I think at a certain stage he talks about actually. He said, he said it's like LSD, they'll, they'll, never, they'll never get rid of it or something. And, and he, he kind of admires the discipline of soldiers because he himself doesn't feel very disciplined. But wh what, what do you think is going on in terms of his relationship to either the war in general or the specific war? And this also relates to, I think, one of the underlying themes, which is relates to his, his song, Lover, 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 mm -hmm. and, and the words in it. So, right, so Leonard Cohen is not John Lennon in terms of his approach to war and nation. He's not a pacifist. Um, in fact, one of his most enduring songs, one of the songs that he plays until the end of his life, is The Partisan, which is kind of an ode to armed resistance. So he's obviously not a belligerent character, but he, he's not a pacifist. And he thinks that sometimes you have to fight. And he has this idea that armies kind of represent something great about Mankind, when you, he says, you know, in one of the quotes that I include in the book, that if you can get a bunch of people in clean clothes, like marching together at the same time, like it's a great, it's a great accomplishment. And I think that he, he liked that. And I mean, this was a guy who lived for years in a Buddhist monastery, you know, extreme discipline, uniforms, um, regimented schedules. You know, you know, he's a guy who felt, like he said, he didn't feel disciplined. He needed, he needed that, or he at least he admired that, that, that discipline that an army has or seems to have to outsiders when you're inside the army looks at the <laughs> but um as i can that's, you know testify from personal experience so also for anyone interested you can read pumpkin flowers which is another great book by matty about life in uh life in the idea yes that's right so um but that's that's what he thought and i and i think he you know he he looked up to the soldiers and you know we were talking about um, his comments about sharon he meets ariel sharon in the desert and ariel sharon is commanding a division um, um, you know, in the thick of the fighting in, in Sinai, and he, he meets Ariel Sharon, and he has this conflicting um, response to him. He says, I want your job. Like, he's jealous of, you know, this brave, manly, you know, Israeli commanding troops. And um, at the same time, he says, how dare you? Like, how, who, you know, who do you think you are doing what you're doing, um, making these life and death decisions, you know, and, uh, and, 
kind of wreaking violence on behalf of the state. And he, so he has this, con- this kind of conflicting um, approach, which I think begins with a very strong identification with the soldiers and ends at the end of the war with a kind of disgust with the war and with his own kind of tribal affiliations and the way that the war has dehumanized not just the participants in the war, but also, also him. Uh, and, and that's the point where, where he leaves. So he has a complicated approach to all this and a complicated response when he's in the thick of it. So this kind of touches on, on the universalism versus the particularism aspect. There, there's a scene early in the book where he's speaking to someone uh, on the Greek island where he lives and, and one's talking about the Jewish heart, and I think one then one's talking about is it called the world heart, yeah. and, and there's this whole thing. But when you know when he arrives, he kind of he gets quite into it. He he asks people to call him Eliezer rather than Leonard, um, and then this relates to the to the lover 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 um, uh, story, which for me is absolutely fascinating. Where he begins and he says, "I I went to the desert to 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 see my brothers to help my to brothers. help my brothers fight," um, and then that that changes can you can you kind of expand on 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 that evolution of even of the song i think right. that's kind of one of the one of the big parts of the book which which underlies a lot of what's going on is the writing of that song and then how that song changes right right so um the first concert that this this band uh gives is at an air force base called Hatso. and I, you know the book is not just about the tours of the soldiers who meet Leonard Cohen and what happens to them before the show and after the show, we won't get into it, but it, he meets, he's, he's performing in front of an audience of air, air crew um, at Hatso. And there are two concerts uh, packed and in between the concerts, he writes a song, which turns out to be Lover, 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 which is really a beloved Cohen uh, number, which he also, he plays it until the end of his life in, on stage in concert when other, other songs kind of fall off the playlist. That one never does. And, um, uh, it's a very strange song. It's called Lover, 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 but it's not a love song. In fact, it's kind of a war song if you look at the at the lyrics. And um, one of the interesting things about it is that they're, they're, the Israelis who saw him remember a specific verse in the song that isn't in the song. Like the verse that people remember from the war is, is that verse that says, you know, that has the line that you just quoted, which is, I went down to the desert to help my brothers fight. I knew that they weren't wrong, I knew that they weren't right. And the verse goes on, it's an incredible verse, but it, it doesn't exist in the song. But what the Israelis remembered was that he called them brothers. Okay? He came to help. And um, that was very much, I think, his mood at the beginning of the, of the war. This was the first concert, and he performs a song throughout the war, and it makes a big impression. And then, close to the end of the war, he has a moment, which he describes in his manuscript, which I put in the book, where he... Um, he sees that he's, he's helping unload wounded soldiers. Helicopters are landing with wounded soldiers coming in from the front, and he sees this kind of load of just broken, you know, wounded, dying men, and he's heartbroken. And he says, these are Jewish soldiers, you know, and they're, um, you know, they're dying. And then someone says, no, don't worry, Leonard. These are Egyptian soldiers, and he's relieved. And then he, and he, catch, he catches himself. And he says, okay, this... He hates his relief. He hates his relief. He says, this is blood on your hands. The fact that you are relieved when it's not your tribe um, is something that he finds absolutely unbearable. And it's more or less at that point, at least according to the manuscript, that he kind of checks out. And uh, and not long after that, he's he's kind of out of here. So, um, and, and ultimately that verse with, I went down to the Talbot, that is changed. And you see in his notebook that he's altered that verse to read. So I think we should just add... The Israelis hear it, no one else hears it, That's right. and then you find it in the manuscript. 
that's right. I mean, I, a soldier who I was interviewing, a soldier, I mean, obviously in the 70s, but a soldier who met Conan on the far side of the Suez Canal didn't remember the words, but he remembered this verse that called the soldiers his brothers. Never forgot it. Um, but there's no verse like that in the song. So I thought this, I thought this guy was probably misremembering, like in a war, who didn't even remember all kinds of things that never happened. And so I didn't think that much about it. But then um, there's, I found an article in New Deal from, written by a reporter who was at one of the concerts. And he says, Leonard Cohen just wrote a new song during the war. It's Lover, Lover, Lover. And here's a verse. And it's this verse that says brothers, which doesn't exist in the song. And the mystery was solved by this notebook that I had access to, which is kept in Los Angeles. It's kept by the Cohen estate. And it's a notebook um, where Cohen is just scribbling stuff during the war. And it has the first version of Lover, Lover. And it has this verse, um, which doesn't exist in the song. So Cohen first alters the verse. You can see it in the notebook. He crosses out the line that says, I went down to the desert to help my brothers fight. And then it reads, I went down to the desert to see the children fight. So he's stepping back. He's already like distancing himself. It's not brothers. He's not helping. Um, and then he uh, shovels the verse entirely. So when the song comes out a few months after the war, that verse is not is not there. And and, and then it goes even farther. And then he, he says, I wrote it for, he even says, I wrote it for the Egyptian and the Israeli soldiers. Right. In 1976, you can see this on YouTube. He's giving a concert in France and he, he presents the song and he admits that he wrote it during the war, but he says that he wrote it for the Egyptians and the Israelis. And he says it in that order. And, and you can see him struggling with that, you know, tribal versus universal um, dilemma, which is very Jewish, and uh, kind of stepping back from his very emotional identification with one side of the war. And he realizes that as a poet, he has to be much bigger than the Israelis. He has to be bigger than the war, um, that his art is universal, and that he can't be seen as, you know, the bard of one side in one small Middle Eastern war. But he is, he, he, he's drawn to it, as in he... he, he... The fact he ends up in Africa, um, you know, I always imagine these kind of troops, uh, these, these um, musicians playing in, in kind of safe areas far That's away. Right. He's really he's really in the thick of things. There's, there's one part of your, you know, the, the scene that you describe with, with the helicopter is, is that he's playing all day. Soldiers are listening. They're going off to fight. They're coming in, and it's just—it's like this churning cycle, and he's—he's—he's he's, he's really into it. Yeah. So it's—it's just—it's so fascinating how that evolution. It's as if he realizes that he kind of went too far in the, and he's shocked by himself, and then he feels the need, then he feels the need to pull away. So it's funny. I mean, you touched on it before. I actually think some of the most moving parts of the book for me is actually not about Leonard Cohen. It's actually about the Israelis. Mm -hmm. It's about the Israeli man and woman who are supposed to get married and then each one is called to the front and they don't know where one and then they find each other and they get married on, on, a, on a ship. It's the story about the, the, the only son of a Holocaust survivor, uh, Yitzhak, who comes back, it comes back from Tokyo, goes, to his, goes back to the kibbutz, sees his father. His father says... I'm, I'm happy you came back for the war and then goes off. And I mean, the, for, for me, those were all very moving. But you also write about how Yom Kippur War changes Israel and Israeli society and Israeli music. Can you can you talk a bit about that? Uh, sure. I mean, I, when I was writing the book, I realized very early on that the story of the tour and the story of Cohen wasn't wasn't enough. 
and that you actually couldn't understand the Torah unless you understand where it was happening and who was seeing it. And the, the electricity of the story is really not just the story about Leonard Cohen, but it's the meeting of Leonard Cohen with these young Israelis at the worst moment of their lives and how they hear his music and what they remember of it afterward. Um, and that's a, I mean, that's, that's a big part of the book. Leonard Cohen happens to be here and plays a small part in, in a big change in the way the country um, in the song of in the song of Israel, both in like the sense of the actual pop music and in the sense of the soul of the of the nation, Yom Kippur War really changes this country. Israelis know that kind of instinctively, but not everyone maybe outside Israel does. The country is changed permanently by the Yom Kippur War. The old certitude of labor Zionism is basically destroyed, and the kind of the the that the founding generation, the heroism of the founding generation, but that generation of leaders is is discredited um and the music that kind of is kind of upbeat zionist music which was dominated in those years by military mu musical troops coming out of the military so actually soldiers in uniform performing songs on stage usually very kind of upbeat zionist songs with the, with the accordion you know going in the background that's all killed by the war um they say that you know one of the fatalities of the Yom Kippur war was the accordion <laughs> the music really changes and you know that communal we goes out and, and it becomes much more individual. People start singing songs about the soul and, um, and you really see that, you really see that in, in, in music. Um, um, the country becomes much more kind of Leonard Cohen-esque, you know, esque in its musical approach, which is much more about, much more internal. And it's not about we and, you know, ideology. It's about the, the individual and the soul and, uh, God, right? Leonard Cohen's kind of an unabashedly religious writer that was not really acceptable in Israel until 1973. Um, the, was the official culture was very secular and um, that, that also changes after 73. Religion kind of surges back into the public sphere in Israel. Some of the musicians um, from the kind of bohemian set that Cohen was in, some of them become ultra-Orthodox. You, you, you interview one of those. That's right. One of the musicians with him was a, um, a singer and a comedian named Pupik Amram was you know famous kind of uh bohemian of the 60s and 70s and basically immediately after the war he becomes ultra orthodox and when i met him he was a rabbi and uh, he's a, an elderly rabbi um, and a few of these guys and he's not the only story like that so israeli music develops kind of an openness to the individual rather than the collective and an openness to the old wisdom and to, and to god which hadn't really been acceptable to that point. So Israeli music after 73 sounds a lot more like Leonard Cohen than it did before. Yes, I mean, that, that part, what it reminded me actually of, I can't remember what the, what the English name is, but, but um, Sharena Ila, which is the, the Israeli show about the Yom Kippur War. So I'm not sure if you've seen it. Sha'atna Ila. Sha'atna Ila. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The recent, the recent the, series. Yeah, the yeah, recent yeah. series. Um, that the, the final, final scene is where a um, very famous Israeli actor... Uh, I didn't make it to the final scene, but... Well, maybe... I, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but a very famous Israeli actor, Lior Ashkenazi, at the end, end, end of the, of the, of, of the, of the series has become ultra-Orthodox. Mm. And he, he's, he's, he's learning, uh, mm. he's learning in, a, in a seminary. So I think mm. you know, that, that aspect is, is very um, central. And... And how do you think it changed Cohen? Because you you write towards the end that had Leonard Cohen not come out of retirement, so many songs, including Hallelujah, so many famous, famous songs, we just we we never would have had. 
does it does it add a creative spark? What do you think it What do you think it does to him? So it, it you know he's he's too sophisticated to tell us exactly. Like there's no place where that we can say okay you know where he writes that the war restored his creative spark. But all we can do is note that before the war he said he was retiring that he'd give up his music and then a few months after the war he put he produces this you know famous album called new skin for the old ceremony which has some extremely famous songs on it uh including by fire and lover 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 and chelsea hotel and and, and others so something clearly something clearly happens and um you know i don't want to put words in, in his mouth and it's i'm speculating but i think that the experience of you know playing those concerts in sinai these were concerts where no one paid any money, no albums, you know, were sold. Um, it was a matter of life and death, right? He knew that this song might be the last thing this person hears. That, um, that, that I don't, I think there's no way that didn't have an effect on on Cohen. And it, it, you know, it's clear that the war made a huge impression on him. It's interesting that he rarely talks about it afterward, but. Um, but it clearly made a huge impression on him, and um, to his relationships as well. To his relationships, he he um, he goes back. He's, Doesn't he say, "This is my my garden. This is my garden." That's right. He goes back. It might not be perfect, that's but right. it's mine. That's right. He sees like something terrible about the world and the war, and he goes back to this island where he's living um, with his very you know small family, and he tries to make it work. He doesn't succeed ultimately, but he they have another baby. Um, and he, he tries, and it's some, and it's related to the experience of, of the war. So I think that it's not a stretch to say that the Yom Kippur War is a turning point for Colin and a major event in his life. Well, Matty, congratulations. It's a wonderful book. Um, I'm sure anyone who reads it will find it fascinating. <laughs> I appreciate it.